Early on in our courtship, my wife Allison taught me a real gem that she learned from her Episcopal camp in Alabama. Now, parents, the following tune may not be appropriate for your children. So if you have any concerns, please ask them to earmuff right now. I've warned you. This is what she taught me. There are no Episcopalians down in hell. There are no Episcopalians down in hell. They're all up above drinking wine and making love. There are no Episcopalians down in hell. So we don't get wine at communion, but you get it in heaven. So we're, we're covered. Heaven and hell, that's what we're going to be about today. We're going to have some interesting conversations. And while I was looking at the scriptures for today and pondering some conversations I've had about Jesus' death and descent among the dead and thinking about what I often hear that uh, Episcopal priests are soft on sin and hell, I thought this would be a good thing for us to talk about today. Now, John 3.16 is not the go-to sermon or uh, scripture, excuse me, when we're talking about heaven and hell. But it's a good launching point. And if you know only one line of scripture by memory, please let's learn some more. But if you only know one, John 3.16 is a great one to know, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now the context of this statement that Jesus makes comes in this really interesting conversation that he's having with this Pharisee named Nicodemus. And Jesus is teaching him that in order to see and experience and enter into the kingdom of God, that we all need to be born of water and the spirit. See, Nicodemus, like us, needs to reorder the disorder of his life. And we're not really capable of doing that on our own. But if we can invite God, the Holy Spirit, into our lives. We can orient ourselves to be in proper relationship with God and with each other. Jesus then goes on to teach that no one has gone up into heaven except he that came down from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus descends to the earth in his incarnation in order to be lifted up. And in his lifting up, his resurrection, we are all lifted up, we that believe in him, so that we can have eternal life. This is great news for us who are alive today. But you might wonder, what about those people who lived before Jesus' time? Before Jesus was alive, what happened to all of those people? You know, whenever we pray morning or evening prayer or renew our baptismal covenant during Eucharist, um, we use the Apostles' Creed in our worship instead of the Nicene Creed. There's some cosmetic differences between the two, I believe, we believe, and um, the Apostles' Creed uh, roots are much older in the church. Um, but one of the major differences is that in the Apostles' Creed, we proclaim that after Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, that he descended to the place of the dead. And back in the 1928 prayer book, some of you might remember it, we used to say he was crucified, died, buried, and descended into hell. The idea here is at this point, 
when Christ died, he either goes to where all the people are dead are, resting, and the Jewish concept of Sheol, or if you believe in a, a physical place called hell, that's where Christ goes, and he preaches the good news of himself so that all who have died before him may have life eternal, a chance to accept him and to be taken up into heaven. Many of the great theologians of the church have talked about the distinctive days during Holy Week and what Christ was doing and the importance of that. For instance, some would teach that on Good Friday, when God forsakes God's very self for our salvation, that that's the crux of the gospel. Um, other theologians have proclaimed that the importance of the resurrection on Easter Sunday is the defeat of death, and that is the good news. There was a Roman Catholic theologian in uh, the 20th century named Hans von Balthasar, and he discussed the importance of Christ's work on Holy Saturday. So I want to talk a little bit about what, what's happening on Holy Saturday, that day um, that's so important. Holy Saturday is the day in which Christ defeats the devil, and he proclaims himself as the good news who had died before the incarnation. Holy Saturday is the day which God reaches into the furthest depths of despair, of death, of separation. Von Balthasar boldly proclaims that there is no hell to which you can descend into where Christ has not already been. There is no place, not even hell, in which we are utterly God forsaken. Scott Gunn, who directs uh, the Ford Movement, uh, once wrote, I think it's liberating to worship a God who would enter the depths of hell to proclaim perfect love and freedom. A God who would enter hell can also be present in Darfur. A God who defeats hell can defeat anything. And a God who would send his own son into hell inspires those of us who follow his son to enter those places that are hell on earth so that we can share good news and proclaim liberation. Now, Episcopalians and especially our clergy get accused sometimes of being universalists. And one of the definitions of that term is that it doesn't matter what you believe or what you do, that all people end up with God in heaven. Well, there's a well-known evangelical pastor and author um, named Rob Bell, who back in 2011 published this book titled Love Wins, a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived. Now, Rob Bell is not a universalist by the usual definition, and neither are many of us who are so accused. He asked this question, have you ever been to a party with some people who didn't want to be there? It's just not much fun. Love, and especially God's love, is about freedom. It's about choice. And God will not force heaven and love upon anyone who doesn't want God's love. But Rob does think that all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds are to be found in heaven. Jesus talks about this very thing in the Gospels. Remember, the prostitutes and the tax collectors are getting into heaven ahead of those who thought they were going to make it first. Rob Bell is also very clear that salvation is not just some once-in-a-lifetime declaration of faith that magically gets one through the pearly gates. Salvation is not just making a one-time confession, faith in Christ, so that we get to go to heaven someday. Salvation is the gift of God that has been given to us in Christ so that we each might now live in right relationship with God 
and with one another in this earthly life and then in heaven. Experiencing salvation in our lives today is about putting our lives in proper order so that we can live the full, abundant lives that Jesus came to teach us how to live. So you can see how Rob's book caused a great stir among traditional evangelicals. Um, But what he says is true. The Bible is clear as mud when it comes to both the exclusivity of heaven and the inclusivity of Jesus's ministry and God's love. Both of these trains of thought are present in the Bible. On the one hand, we need to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead in order to be saved. And on the other hand, Jesus, fantastically inclusive, proclaiming he has other sheep that do not belong to this fold and that they too will be included in the kingdom, that he will draw all people to himself, that all knees will bow and all tongues confess that Jesus is Lord. God is interested in restoring this earth. God's intent from creation, from creation to Abraham, through the prophets, and today is for all of creation to be in correct relationship with God and with itself. We're blessed to be a blessing. Jesus is about bringing God's kingdom to earth just as it is in heaven. Heaven is a real place. It is somehow intermingled with this reality and yet somehow remains separate from this reality. And we can speculate all day long about up there, down there, here, who, how, why, but ultimately all of this is a mystery. And I think that deep down, each of us want just about everybody we know or or have ever known and all dogs, regardless of belief, to make it into heaven. But a lot of us also have some sort of need for there to be a place called hell, a place where bad people go, people who got away with evil deeds, where they will actually suffer. Now, it might make us feel a little better in the short term to think about people who have wronged us and those really bad people suffering in hell. But salvation belongs to our God, not to us. We don't have the capacity or the ability to decide the fate of other people. All we can do is live our lives in such a way as to inspire faith in others and pray that God's grace and God's mercy far exceed our own. You see, God's love is not only profound, but it's really somewhat offensive. Notice that God doesn't ask the world if the world wants God's love. God just gives it. And God loves the world, not just a little bit, but God loves the world so much that God would give God's only son to die so that the world can experience God's love in the right way. The one who dies for you certainly has claim over your life. See, God's love, surprising, all-encompassing, unasked for, and undeserved, is also given unconditionally. God loves us, that is, whether we ask for it or not, whether we want it or not. But this is good news. This is the good news of God's love for us. It's the scandal of God's grace, that it comes whether we've earned it or not, whether we like it or not, love wins, period. The question then is not if God loves us. God loves us enough to send his son again to die for us without even asking our permission. The question then rather is, What are we going to do in response to God's love for us? 
Are we going to live our lives like God's profound love doesn't really make any difference? Or will we take that love, accept the free gift that it is, and make our lives to live in reflection of this love? Will we create order and direction in our lives starting at this place of gift, of belovedness, not waiting until our lives are a mess to remember, but beginning with that place? Will we stop creating hells for ourselves here on earth and begin to live like heaven is here right now? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that those who believe in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. It's true. It happened. God did this for you, for me, for everybody. So what are we going to do about it?